the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. I love the understatement in Luke's storytelling. She was much perplexed. Much perplexed. Flipping terrified, I would imagine. Absolutely scared witless. Hence the, the angelic response to her. And this is what angels always tend to do, isn't it? Do not be afraid. A little bit late for that, I think, but anyway. Uh, Gabriel's message has two parts to it. There's affirmation and there is vocation. Affirmation comes first, and I think the sequence is important. Um, most, most people uh, struggle with a sense of identity in their younger years. Um, without wanting to project Western teenage angst onto Mary, there's no reason to think that she was any different. In many senses, in almost every sense, in fact, she was a normal teenage girl with normal teenage girl experiences. But Gabriel reveals to her her truest identity that must have cut straight through all those questions about who am I? She is highly favoured. She has found favour with God. I can't really begin to imagine how this must have landed with this young, poor, teenage girl. Aside, in her cultural context, of course, any one of those adjectives, young, poor, girl, any one of those would have sent her to right to the bottom of the heap. She knew her place on the bottom rung. But she also knew that from the standpoint of this new identity, such disadvantages are turned into advantages. So listen to her famous song, The the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, elevated to the highest place. For the mighty one has done great things for me. She sees herself as she is. She sees herself as God has made her. In the eyes of her culture then, a marginal figure. In the eyes of God, highly favoured. So affirmation came first. And with God, this is nearly always the case. The pattern was also true for Mary's son, Jesus. You'll remember the story, I'm sure that Jesus, at the age of 30 years, stood in the River Jordan. And there, uh, uh, having been baptised by John, there is a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Maybe that's true in your experience as well. Affirmation has come before anything God has asked you to do. Certainly in my case. And actually, those words to Jesus, um, received as he is baptised, have come home to me again and again and again and again, and have given me courage. After the affirmation came, vocation. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
That's a derivation from the Hebrew Joshua, which means God will save. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. What a totally wild thing for a young girl to hear. And for the angel to say, actually, um, American author Friedrich, Friedrich Breitner, he, he reckons that the angel must have been quaking in his boots as he delivered such a message, for so much hung on it and upon her response. And her response? How can this be? Since I am a virgin. I wonder how she said it. Was it with a bit of attitude, a bit of fear, a bit of reluctance? I doubt it, actually. Though most heroes in the scriptures seem to be dragged to the point of acceptance. Remember when God asked Moses to pack his bag for Egypt. How can this be, he said, I'm not very good with words. Or when Sarah heard that she, would be, uh, that she was to give birth to a son. How can this be, she said. I can't even remember the menopause. It's such a distant memory. Or when Zachariah learned from Gabriel that Elizabeth was to conceive. How can this be, he said. We're well both on in years, older than the hills. How can this be, since I am a virgin? Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, uh, to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this will be the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. How will this be? For I'm a virgin. Unlike Zechariah, I don't think there's any sense of unbelief here. How can this be? They were the same words, and yet spoken from a different heart, spoken from an innocent heart, spoken from a believing heart. Uh, she may only have been 13 years of age, but she knew how babies were born. My guess is she was asking for information, and she was given it. There was no need for her to, um, to jump the conjugal gun. Uh, there would be nothing for her to do except acquiesce. The child she would be carried would be God's child, because the Spirit of God would overshadow her. Well, we don't really know um, whether time stood still as she considered uh, a, um, uh, Gabriel's message or, or whether the story is so compressed in Luke's telling of the story um, that, that, that actually she did have some time to reflect. We don't know. But her answer is as simple as it is awe-inspiring. Yes. Yes. Uh, her answer gives Mary her, uh, perhaps her most famous line. Here I am, 
the, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Friends, um, uh, any calling, including the foundational calling to discipleship, involves a yes from us. An unequivocal yes. God did not force himself upon Mary, but invited her, albeit with power, invited her to respond. But having just recapped the story, let's um, step back from the narrative and, um, and do a bit of theologizing together. Um, there are many ways in which we can reflect on this, uh, this story of the Annunciation, the incredible thing of God taking residence in a human womb. But the one that, uh, that I would like to draw you into its gravitational pull um, is, a, is a metaphor, I believe. It's an insight that, um, that we pick up from the, the Orthodox Church, and it's the one that has grabbed me as I've been reflecting on this. And it's all down to one word. It's the Orthodox Church's title for Mary, which is Theotokos, which simply means God-bearer. And Mary is the God-bearer. <clears throat> the language of Mary as God-bearer, or as the Roman Catholic wing of the church calls her, the mother of God, um, it, was, um, it was a hotly contested um, debating point in the early years of the, uh, of the Christian church. But now it's accepted across the church as a fairly orthodox way of, um, of titling Mary. I love it. Not least because it translates so well to our call to be disciples of Jesus. Also saying yes to him. There's um, a writer, theologian, um, another American called uh, Kenda Creasy Dean. You can tell she's American, can't you? Kenda Creasy Dean. She says this, and listen really carefully. This is just brilliant. God invites all of us to become God-bearers. Persons who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, smuggle Jesus into the world through our own lives who by virtue of our yes to God find ourselves forever and irrevocably changed. In biblical witness, God seems especially fond of calling upon unlikely suspects for such missions. And while God doesn't call any of us to bring Christ into the world as literally as Mary did, God calls each of us to become a God-bearer through whom God may enter the world again and again. Ain't that brilliant? Why bother with Mary? Because she is the model of our missional discipleship. Using her literal lived experience as a model, as a metaphor, we are to bear God into the world. We are called upon to conceive, to gestate, and to birth God into our neighbourhoods. It's another way of saying that we are to make God's saving, transforming love real. Wherever we can, whenever we can. This is God's way of 
of transforming things, of transforming the world one step at a time and making it new. Love has to be conceived within us and nurtured. And as it grows within us, it transforms us. And the more it grows, the more it shows even before it finds birth in the world, expression in the world in our own neighbourhoods, going beyond the, the, uh, the, the, the reaches of, our, of the womb of our souls. Now, some of us here are better to equip and to develop this idea than, than I am. Because funnily enough, I've never carried a child. But we're all capable of, um, of pondering the, the, the mystery of it. And we would do well to do it. Once Christ is conceived in us, he must be born. One way or another. And our hope and our prayer as good disciples, it's at full gestation and healthy. It's a fascinating idea, this. Um, but there is a word of warning that finds its root in, in Luke's telling of the, um, of the gospel story. Following the birth of Jesus, um, uh, Jesus is presented by his parents at the temple uh, as required by the law. And there, there is an, account, uh, uh, an encounter with two remarkable, remarkable elderly people both of whom are full of the Holy Spirit and have been awaiting for the Messiah for many, many years. God has spoken to both of them, both to Simeon and to Anna, as they meet child, uh, the, the child that day. It's Simeon's word that contains the word of warning, warning, though. Having blessed the infant Jesus, he blessed Mary and Joseph, and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. Well, those of you who have given birth can understand something of Mary's pain. But none of us can really imagine the totality of Mary's pain as mother of our Lord. All mothers experience uh, pain, the pain of their children as their children grow up. But this was something quite beyond a normal experience for Mary. For Christ's life was something quite beyond that which is normal. Try this exercise at home. Try to imagine the life of Jesus, as it's recorded in the Gospels, through the eyes of Mary. I've tried to do it a little bit. And it's an extremely stretching experience, is hers. Extremely stretching and painful. The pain that would pierce her own side. Sometimes... Uh, she was stretched beyond her ability to understand and maybe beyond her ability or to the point of her ability to keep on believing. What must she have experienced as she stood gazing at her naked son writhing in agony 
upon a cross. The pain is unimaginable. It must have hammered her faith, the faith that she had carried with her from the very beginning of that time when Gabriel had appeared to her. I don't want to exaggerate the parallel between her suffering and that which we may bear as God-bearers. But be aware that if we are to be God-bearers, God-bearers, we will need to carry not only joy, the joy of carrying Jesus and seeing him born into the world, but also pain. Anyway, there she is, Mary, the mother of God, the God-bearer, an exemplary disciple. A limited human being, just like us, but extraordinary in her openness to the Spirit of God and her willingness to participate in all that God wanted to do in her and through her. She's worthy of admiration. Yes, Protestant people, she is worthy of admiration. But much better still, she is worthy of imitation for we are called upon to carry God into the world. So may her, uh, her example be God's invitation to us this morning to be God-bearers ourselves. The invitation, is, of course, is open to all, all who will humble themselves and say yes. So how about it, will you? You'll have to do so without really knowing what it will mean because none of us can possibly know where this, this, where this will carry us. But will you? If so, then there is no better response that you could use in your own hearts than the one that Mary has given us. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will.